it's another weekend, another farm to wardrobe podcast with LD13 as the host. And today we have some very famous joining Maria Lena, um, a former Parsons professor uh, in fashion design, starting with her systems and materiality. And yeah, um, today she is also my boss um, at Fragmentario at her own studio where I'm currently interning. But even more so, she always has been a very key figure um, slash mentor um, in my uh, young career, I would say. <laughs> and yeah, even so, uh, much more important, also a very important friend. And <clears throat> yeah, today we will talk about um, her journey um, studying fashion design, but later on, um, yeah, starting her own studio called Fragmentario and exploring materiality for a very different lens and um, yeah, creating a lifestyle that is, I think, not a very typical way of approaching um, fashion design slash um, yeah, materials today. And I'm even more curious um, where her journey will go um, in the future. And that's all we're gonna talk today about besides where um, we guess um, the fashion um, route will go. So, Alrighty. Um, I think, yeah, how did we, we both meet? Um, I think it was 2019 uh, when I was joining your class. That semester I was teaching two classes, but you guys was actually the, the first one that I was. Um, actually, no, it, it was, just, I, I had first on Wednesday, the other class, but then with you guys on Thursday in the morning. Um, right. And it was kind of like interesting because you guys were all like 20, 21 year old. So kind of having to remember what I was like at that age. Um, also understanding what was it that was interesting for you guys. Was it fashion? Was it materials? Was it systems? Since this was this experimental class that was also being taught for, for the first time. So we were discovering it together. Yeah. I remember that a lot of the other students were a little bit more... Uh, scared about when I was bringing up um, things that wouldn't be normally attractive yeah like um, I remember being also like a bit scared but you know once I opened up it opened up so many doors also a way of approaching fashion which was so far, far more meaningful and yours is scientific research and there's a personal story going on which is great yeah I think it's something that I was really afraid at first to, I, I, if you see my first projects, I wouldn't put a lot of myself in. And slowly I started to understand that this was actually a, a, a strength. And it's something that I feel I also really try to encourage within yeah. all of you guys. Yeah. And it, it's something that I also felt that it was kind of funny because a lot of the times I would tell you guys, uh, put more of yourselves in it and like if one of you would tell me a story of like yes I did this when I was a child I would ask you like well put photos of you as a child doing this in your research book and some of you looked at me like I was crazy and for, for me it was kind of like I was quote-unquote giving you guys permission but also I was giving myself permission because I, I knew that if I was curious about seeing this from you guys, other people might be also about me. So it was kind of like an interesting thing to, to teach you guys. And at that point, I had already been teaching workshops uh, for natural dyes and material experimentations, I think for around like three years. But this was different, right? Because it was like 
uh, a class for like a whole semester, not just like a workshop that people came for a weekend. So I had to really adjust. And if I was going to uh, provide feedback to you guys about what was good, what was maybe not working, what could be changed, I had to understand it myself. So I, I think it was like a really wonderful experience for me to to share with you guys and hopefully teach you guys something. But also I learned a lot in the process about myself and what works and what doesn't sometimes. And understanding that there isn't, for the most part, as long as people are being honest, yeah. everything I think is, is valuable. Yeah. Um, but I think that there are better ways sometimes to tell stories. And like, it's more about the angle and also how to give feedback. Um, True. So yeah, that was how we how we met. <laughs> and yeah, you were the one who asked questions. And I think the way how you approach it comes from also you have been studying engineering before, before doing fashion, which uh, I find very fascinating. <clears throat> and yeah, maybe you want to explain a bit how you ended up in fashion uh, later on. Yeah, so I... It was like a really strange thing in a way because I I went to study engineering, industrial engineering for, for my undergrad. Um, and, my, and I was doing this in Venezuela where I'm from. And then in my last year of studies, I was in France. And I, I am a person that I'm always planning a couple steps ahead. Um, I have gotten better at not doing it because life is so unexpected that it's something that sometimes it works against you because you have to also appreciate the present. But I, I used to be very much like looking at many steps ahead. And I remember uh, I was in France there for one semester uh, studying, just kind of doing my electives, but also in French, also engineering. Right. Um, and I was looking uh, for companies. The way that engineering, engineering works, at least like in my university, is that you can either do a thesis with a laboratory Mm -hmm. uh, or you can do like a research project in the industry. And I, I was looking for, so like a, an, an internship, but you have to write like a thesis about it and do a presentation and you, you are getting paid. Um, you just go every day to, to work and research for a company. And I, I was trying to do this project, this internship research project in, in France. Um, and I, I was looking all over, right? Like for this like internship program and like projects that I felt were interesting. And at the same time, I started to also look for master's program, mm -hmm. which it didn't make any sense, right? Because I mean, I was still doing my exams for engineering uh, school. I was looking for an internship and then I started to look for a master's at the same time. But I felt it made sense yeah. because I was like, as as... As I saw the internships and like the type of things that people were requiring, I was like, okay, maybe I should look for a master's in this. And then I was looking for master's. And so it started to be kind of like, I felt that I had to do both things at the same time. Right. So I could pick a good internship that, that made sense. Um, and something kind of really interesting happened that I started to really look at the curriculum for uh, master's related to engineering. And I was not interested at all. Like, I, I was like, I'm really not curious about these things that they're going to be teaching me. Mm -hmm. um, but I was like, well, whatever. Maybe I can do some of these masters. Um, but I, I kind of left it like in a closet inside my head. 
And I started, and then finally I, I found this internship program in a, a company in Paris. It's, it's a huge company, like around 30,000 people work there, but I mean, they have offices around the world. It's the largest cable manufacturing company in the world. Uh, so I, I found an internship in this company and, and I started and it, it was a really interesting job because I was working with many different departments. I remember that we had a project with the human resources team to organize the data from all these workers because they had recently acquired companies around the world. Right. So now they went from to have like 30,000 workers and all the information they had it on an Excel spreadsheet. But now, now they ha this was too heavy for an Excel spreadsheet, so they needed a software. So I, I was working with the human resources team to see what we could do to organize this information, and also with like health and safety department, uh, organizing the data about accidents that had happened in the factories, and also with like the um, the production team to organize the data on all the products, which were many. Right. And it, it was very interesting because every day I was speaking with a lot of different people from different departments. And I, I had this, this boss that she gave me a lot of freedom and she, she was a really good mentor. Also, she was a woman and I hadn't really thought up until then about being a woman and what this meant, especially in a context of engineering. Mm -hmm. uh, because in Venezuela, it was very normal for, for women to be engineers, but in France, it wasn't. And I remember I, I started to understand through her that, that it was a little bit different and that you were going to have to deal with sexism in, in the workplace. And right. I, I was really lucky to have this person. I mean, she didn't explain to me that she didn't say, hey, look, there is sexism, but she would just say, say things and like I would kind of understand. And I, I started to kind of understand a couple of things. And right. overall, she, she was really good. And the internship was like super, super interesting. And people were treating me really, really good. And I had a lot of freedom. Um, but I wasn't really happy. And I, I started also to imagine this was going to be my future. Mm -hmm. And also something happened that they, they were paying me and they were paying me an amount of money that for me was a lot, a lot of money at the time. Right. I think it was something like 1500 euro a month, which was more than enough for me to pay for my apartment in Paris and travel. And I remember up until then, I felt like, okay, engineering is something because I can't secure my life and then I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And I realized, no, it's not going to work like that for me because I, I am having this sort of like financial security, quote unquote, mm -hmm. and, and I'm still feeling like I have things inside of me that I want to express. And in the past, I have said that it was creative, but it wasn't creative because I... I was being, I was having to be very creative in, in my work mm -hmm. in a different way, but it was more about expressing some artistic ideas or being in like in an environment in which I could justify uh, going to plays or listening to music or seeing films or just like, like being around art for, for my work, which is not something that I was doing. So I started to have this crisis about what was I going to do for, for my life. And I remember I, I turned 22 when all this was happening and I felt so old. Like I had just wasted all these years of my life and I really freaked out. Like, what did I do? You know, like I just wasted all these years and I'm going to have to start from zero now. What's going to happen? And I, I really tried to 
consider everything. Like I remember I started to consider like, do I study sociology now? Uh, do I study architecture? Do I study graphic design? Like it, it was like very strange because up until then I was like, I'm going to study engineering. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, no, this is not it. So I need to find myself again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I started to remember that I had really liked fashion when I was very, very young, when I was like five years old or even younger. Mm-hmm. Um, my my grandmother is a seamstress, so I grew up with her making clothes for me very frequently. And also something I didn't think much about, on, but until I was older, was um, I didn't have a brother or a cousin on my father's side of the family until I was like five years old. And when I would go visit my grandparents, I was the only child mm-hmm. that was there. I didn't have any other kids to play. So something that my mom would draw for me, some like women... Mm-hmm. And then I would draw clothes on them. Nice. And then my grandmother would make those clothes for Barbie. Nice. This was happening when I was like three, four years old. So it's something that I grew up doing. And for me, it was like super natural. Um, I remember then as I got older, um, my parents gave me this computer game in which you could design clothes for Barbie. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I, I showed this game to you guys in our class. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I was all the time designing clothes, but I, for me, it was so natural that I didn't even think that this was anything worth mentioning. You know, it's, it's like, I'm not going to speak with you about how we are mm-hmm. uh, surrounded by air, because of course we know that we are surrounded by air. We don't have to talk about it. So for me, I just thought that every girl around the world was doing this, was like drawing clothes and making them in the computer or making them in real life. And it wasn't until I got older that I understood, no, it, it's not something that everyone is doing and maybe this can be a career. Mm-hmm. And I think also being in France, um, it, it's funny because when I say I decided to then study fashion when I was in France, people imagine, uh, oh, I was so inspired by the luxurious fashion in France. No, this was not the case at all. <laughs> it, it was more like this was a country where you didn't have to be an engineer where there were many career paths that were possible. And that was just that. It, right. This was it, you know? Like, I remember when I was, like, looking for internships, there was one at Louis Vuitton for supply chain. And I remember understanding, like, oh, wait, fashion, I can have a career mm-hmm. and have, have a job and be a normal person. Like, I'm not going to be under a bridge. Um, so I, I started to, like, research about it and... I remember at the time I saw that the London College of Fashion they had uh, they had a uh, like a one day seminar in which you were going to be taught by people working in different aspects of the fashion industry like some photographer merchandisers buyers and I was like okay I'm I'm going to go to this thing and at the time I remember like this thing the ticket the, it was expensive and I, I was traveling so much that. I didn't really have too much of a budget for this trip, but I was like, okay, I'm going to do like couch surfing. So mm-hmm. I, I stayed in the house of some like random Australian guy and I went by bus, which it's like insane because normally people go to, you know, to London from Paris in the, in the train. Right. And I, I went and it's like two hours and I went in this bus that it was like horrible. It was like 13 hours, but it was the only thing that I could afford. And I remember I even brought some like snacks or something mm-hmm. from, from Paris to not be spending too much money there. Oh it it was like a really cra- crazy trip, but I was like, I have to do this because I have to understand what, what this means to, to work in fashion. 
because I, I didn't know it, you know, like I, I, I knew what it meant to be an engineer and how I could make this make sense. But fashion, I didn't know at all how this could make sense. So I, I remember I went and I, I had a lot of fun and I remember they had us do a lot of activities and um, I, I did good in a lot of these activities and I, I spoke with a lot of like the people that were like the instructors and I was like, okay, maybe this is something that I can do. And I started to, to research more and then I found um, the associates program at Parsons, which is marketed towards people that are changing career path. And I was like, okay, maybe I'll apply to this thing. So huh. after Paris, I, um, I went back to Venezuela. I, I, as I was graduating, um, so I was finishing my exams and everything. And I was like, uh, I had to write again all my thesis, but now in Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, which was horrible. You know, like I had to write this like a hundred page thesis in French and defend it in French. And then I had to go back to Venezuela and do it all again, but in Spanish, um, which it, it would, it would have been easier, honestly, if it would have been from English to Spanish because they are different enough. But yeah. Spanish and French are actually, they're, they're very similar languages, which makes it more complicated because a lot of the things I felt that I could say the same way and couldn't really. So it, it was this really strange moment that I was like finishing my engineering exams in Venezuela. I was writing my thesis again in Spanish. I had to defend it. And then I was applying for coming to New York to study fashion. And then I I graduated in like, uh, and then some months later, I I moved here to study fashion at at Parsons. What a journey and what a passion behind it. I mean, that's not everybody would do, you know, um, crazy, but it's crazy. You, you know, I never met you differently. (laughs) Always 200%, which I love. (laughs) Yeah. Also, what was really funny is that when I came here, I was still very scared, you know, and like, I actually moved here to study fashion marketing, not even fashion design. Um, because I was still very scared and feeling like, okay, um, the, I had studied industrial engineering and a lot of people that study industrial engineering end up doing kind of like managerial roles or like marketing roles. Um, so I felt like, okay, maybe fashion marketing makes more sense with what I already have. Mm-hmm. So I'll do that. Even though I wanted to study fashion design, but I was still so scared. And after, I remember after one semester, I was like, I really should change to, to fashion design, but I was terrified still and I did my first year in in marketing um, and I was like interning in different companies and then that summer I remember I interned at one company and I could tell that the people at the end that had the power in a way who were designing the collection were the designers Mm -hmm. Um, at the same time I also had started dating Griffin my husband who you have met and he's a graphic designer and he, he was really encouraging me to to do more personal projects, to be more artistic. And he had a job. So I was like, okay, um, I can also be a designer, you know? And like, maybe I'm actually good at this. And I started to research more. And I remember also speaking with uh, bosses from like my different internships and them telling me like, you know, uh, you can work in marketing jobs if you study design, but you cannot work in design design's jobs if you don't study design. Right. So, the, and like there are less jobs for designers, but there is also less competition mm-hmm. because 
there are people applying for marketing jobs that they didn't study fashion marketing. Maybe they just started marketing. Maybe they did an MBA. Maybe they studied literature. So it's also less competition. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm saying this because for, for me in the moment, because I was so scared, I needed a justification. And I remember the moment I told my parents, like, hey, I'm changing again. I was so scared. Um, but they actually were so excited. And they told me because, you know, my dad is an engineer, my mom is an architect. And they were like, oh, my God, we're so relieved because um, what is marketing even? You know, like, what are you even learning? At least in design, you're going to learn how to make a pattern, how to make something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. It, it was like strange because for me, I felt that for them, it would have been seen as something less than, but they actually saw it as better. You know, like for my dad, who's an engineer, he's like, design is the same for my mom. It's the same. So it, it was very strange to see how my perception of reality was not matching theirs. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, I had to do all that. I, I think otherwise it would have been very different. Right. I mean, what a beautiful journey. <clears throat> I mean, I wouldn't also say I was scared to study fashion design first because my parents were like saying, don't, don't do it because it's such a wild um, environment. But, you know, when you fall in love with, with it, you fall in love with it and you can't change about it. <laughs> I think at the end, it's just about you want to do this. How do you do it? Yeah. It's not so much like you do this. How do you make yourself not want to do it? But like, how do you do this thing that you want to do? Right. right. I mean, but you didn't stay with just fashion. <laughs> Your world exploded then again. And <laughs> I think uh, I, I think for the better. Um, I, I think it's so exciting what you do. Um, <clears throat> it's much more. It's, um, it's creating with your hands. It's hands-on. It's um, creating a lifestyle. And it's exploring the new while, you know, learning the old way of thing, doing things. Um, but yeah, I let you talk about it, about Fragmentario. <laughs> Thank you. So what do you want me exactly to, to talk about it? Like what, what it is or... Um... I mean, it didn't happen overnight, right? Um, maybe like how it started and, and why you, you know, why, why you're doing it. Um, so after, um, after I changed, uh, to study fashion design at Parsons and then after I graduated, I, I started working soon after, uh, in, in the industry and something that I, I think it's important that it has been important for me to understand and maybe to communicate is that even when I decided, okay, I am going to study fashion after engineering, I, I knew that my role in fashion wasn't going to be like a normal one, right. uh, quote unquote, because th- that's not why I was interested in fashion. And like, I knew that I was interested in many things that were from the galaxy of fashion in a sense, but not in a very traditional way. Uh, mm-hmm. But I, I just felt that it was kind of like, I had read a lot of fashion books when I was young. So I felt that it was kind of like a good entry way for me. Um, but I, I knew that I, I mean, I didn't have this dream to like work at Michael Kors and be like the senior designer there and do this like corporate, uh, trajectory in a traditional company. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still took every opportunity. So I, I started working at Michael Kors 
uh, in the technical design department. But on the side, I was always doing personal projects. And a lot of these projects weren't really fully finished. Anything, there was a lot of exploration that I was doing. Um, I was doing more like, um, I, I was doing some drawing, but not very much. Like I was doing a lot of like patterns just to kind of like better understand how patterns work, how, how fabric works. And I remember also at the time, um, Griffin, who, I mean, we were dating at the time, he wanted to do a project um, with bags. Um, the way he had expressed it to me at first was like he wanted to do um, bags for like the computer and the phone, these type of things that were not like neoprene futuristic thing, but that were more aligned with his own aesthetic, which is very inspired by like Boy Scout uh, gear. Um, so he, he wanted to use like brown organic cotton that, that was like what he told me. And I was like, okay, I know this one store, uh, that sells organic cotton. So we went to B and J in Midtown and they had like two types of brown, you know, it was a very limited organic fabrics back then. This was in 2017. Right. Um, for me, I was like, fine, great. This is great. We have two browns, you know, no one, two. And he was like, I don't like either. Um, he's very specific about the things that he likes. And I mean, I am the same. Right. But if it doesn't matter if I am doing my thing, you know. But for me, it was like, dude, I'm helping you. So this is the brown that we have. That's it. You know, brown is brown. And he, he didn't like it. And he was like, what if we dyed ourselves? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not going to be dyeing some fabric. This sounds ridiculous. And then to make everything worse, he starts telling me that he had read about people that dyed fabric with like onions and nuts and like the Amish in his little town where he's from did this. And I almost got very upset. Like, wh what are you telling me? Like, I'm not going to be dying some fabrics with like onions and nuts. This <laughs> sounds horrible. Like it's going to look bad and it's going to smell bad. And I was totally against it. I was like, you are insane. You are like a hippie from like rural United States. And I am like a city person from like the tropics. Like, no way <laughs> I'm doing this. Um, and I was like, you, you buy this fabric that is here, you know, like if not, I'm not helping you. And he, he bought the fabric and we went home and like, I helped him. I did some prototypes because he didn't know how to sew back then. I was like teaching him. Right. Um, but then when we were in the subway, I, I started to think like, um, this actually is really interesting. I was like, this sounds horrible, but it's super interesting. Um, but I still thought that it was, probably going to be horrible but 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 I acknowledge at least that it was like interesting and I started to think also like all my projects at Parsons had been super experimental and this was a time when Parsons hadn't it didn't have yet these pathways of like systems materials they weren't so um open to really crazy things um and I think a lot of my professors had a really hard time dealing with me like what you know like I remember all my projects were like I, I, I wove a sleeve with like pearl chain and my professor was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> like so upset, you know, and like, so I, I would things with like, yeah, I mean, now I think that it's incredible in the moment. I felt like this was like interesting, but I, I couldn't do it. And I remember I had a professor for portfolio and he was like, where's your merchandising plan? You don't have enough pants. And I was like, but I don't wear pants. 
you know, and he's like, you have to have pants and you have to have prints and the merchandising plan. And I was like, I am not doing this. And for, for me, I, I was also like, dude, I already came from studying engineering. If I'm doing this, it's because I am going to do whatever I want. If I'm going to be control like this, I go back to be an engineer mm-hmm. and make actually money. Like, right. and, and this is something that I ha- have kept always in mind. Mm-hmm. Like whenever there's this temptation to do something that I don't think is really interesting, but there's money behind it, mm-hmm. I have to remind myself like, no, but if you want to make money, I just close Fragmentario and I go and I get a job as an engineer. Because yeah. th- there, for me, I have way easier ways to make money th- than with whatever it is that I do. Um, but anyways, I, I started to think like, okay, Griffin is telling me something that is actually very experimental, but it's using and that they are there for us. They are not expensive. And I had never heard of this. And I am doing this work at school that is super experimental, but it's not things that I necessarily want to wear. It's things that I want to make. Um, but then I'm also trying to eat very healthy and I'm trying to work out. And there was at the time, like this alignment, you know, with like the work that I was making as a fashion designer and my lifestyle. And I felt like this was the connector, you know, like I was like, this actually is experimental, but it's, it's very aligned. Uh, but I mean, but I was very secretive. Like I didn't want people to know that I was trying to eat healthy, to do exercise. This was like a secret thing. We didn't have yet like this, like wellness hashtag that everyone is obsessed with like green juice or anything like this. Like I was doing all these things, but in secret, I I didn't want anyone to know that I wanted to be healthy. Right. Um, so I was like, okay, I think this is the connector and I should learn more about this. Uh, so I I apologized to him and I was like, okay, let's learn more about this. And I started to read about it. And something that was really interesting for me, um, because I remember after he told me about the nuts and the onions, he also told me about avocado seeds. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay. It also makes some like beige color, whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, yeah, it makes pink. And I was like, what are you talking about? What? Avocado seeds give me like a pink color? And this really started many things in me because in the house, um, when I was like 17, my, my parents bought a house and like they tore it apart and then they built it again. And it was, it was like this huge project for two years that my parents were building this house for us to live. Um, and this house had an avocado tree. And I mean, it also had like a, um, a banana tree and like a, a lime tree. Um, but my, my last years in Venezuela, like I didn't have to buy limes or like bananas or avocados. Like we just got them from the garden. Wow. And we actually had so, so many that whenever I would go get a haircut, I would come with all these avocados because we, we couldn't eat them. You know, it, it was too many. And also the avocados in Venezuela are very big. It's like the size of my face, you know? Um, so th- there was something really special, you know, like already the nuts and the onions, I hadn't responded so positively even though I was curious, mm-hmm. but when he told me the avocados, I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. I had an avocado tree back home, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it really connected me to that thing. And I, I started to remember like, wow, sometimes I would put avocado pulp in my hair, you know, to, to make it more shiny or something. Right. Um, but I, I never, I never knew anything about the avocado seed making any color. So I started to become very intrigued and I started to, to research more. I understood and I started to learn that um, many of the 
plants that are very historically important for natural dyes actually come from South America. And there, there was another one that is um, anato, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's, it's used here in the United States to give that radioactive color to like uh, some of these radioactive cheeses. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is used in a lot of uh, cooking in Venezuela. And actually, when you see photos of the indigenous people in the Amazon, um, they with color on them, it's like they, they make this color with this with this mm-hmm. plant. And I, I started to understand like, wow, th- this is a really powerful tool that can be good for me to learn about this place that is my home in my imagination. Right. but it's not my home in the physical world and I, I can learn about it and I can talk with people about this in a way that is very non-confrontational yeah and I, I started to really feel kind of very positive and I mean I, I didn't at, at first it was really to help Griffin Mm-hmm. And I remember after a while, I was like, I am interested in this in a different way than you are. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, I asked him for permission. I was like, can I do this? Because I, I felt very strange. Like you taught me this thing. So mm-hmm. I don't want to like copycat you. But the way I'm interested is very different than the way that you are. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yes, of course. It's, I didn't invent this. You know, we discovered it together. So do whatever you want. Right. And up until then, I supposedly like the project that he his project which was called native outpost and now it's called old brown earth it was supposed to be the two of us and then we were like okay that project is just you and i'm gonna do my own and i don't have a name yet for my my project um but i'm gonna have one and um i i started also to think about other things that i was like interested in and i remember one day finally after like two years i sat down like okay what it is what is it that I want to communicate? Mm-hmm. Um, because at the time I was working with like natural dyes, but I was also making my own patterns. And I was also like trying to learn how to weave. And I had tried to learn how to like uh, knit. And I was really interested in like, um, I also had this idea that like I wanted to do like a fashion line with like uh, fabrics that I would find in a flea market. Um, and then I found out that that's actually, that's what um, Margiela with the artisanal line that's what they do and I remember feeling very discouraged like okay I didn't invent this it's already invented um so kind of I had to keep digging and I remember then one day finally I was like I need to write down what it is that I am trying to communicate and maybe a name will come um I mean at this point this had been when I started to sit down to write the ideas I was already on my third job in fashion right like I had started working at my course as an assistant technical designer then I went to work at this other menswear company as an associate designer. And then I had just started working as a senior designer for an activewear brand. Um, having like a career that for me, I was really happy. Like I had been learning a lot, a lot of things, but I hadn't been really working on, on products that were aligned with myself. And then I started to understand, like, I just have to do this on my own, like separately. Mm-hmm. So I remember I, I had this notebook and I started to write ideas and what was it that was very important for me and I remember I wrote down this idea of poco a poco which in Spanish means like little by little Mm -hmm. and it it, it was a way to celebrate the slowness of of processes of of life um, which I felt natural lives for example really showcase and also making your own patterns or your own things in general and I remember I started to play with like um, Google Translate with different um, 
ways to express in different languages this idea of like little by little. Mm -hmm. And I was first starting very um, pretentious, like looking for a way to say it in Latin. Um, and then I, I had this idea. I, I wasn't liking any of the words. Um, and then I thought maybe I'm going to try in, in Galician, mm -hmm. um, which is like a, a language from the northwest of Spain that is kind of similar, like in between Portuguese and Spanish. Mm -hmm. And it's the language that my grandparents spoke between each other. And I was like, let's see what it says in Galician. And it said fragmentario. This, this was an error from the system, um, but I, I, I liked it. And I also liked that, okay, it maybe has a secret meaning in, in Galician, but in Spanish, it's just going to mean like a collection of, of fragments, mm -hmm. which is projects that are imperfect, right? Um, and I, I remember really liking it and, and feeling like this is perfect because it works in many languages. Like um, if you say it in English, people know fragmentario is fragmentary. If you say it in Italian or in French, um, and I felt it worked. And I also felt that when people read it, they were going to know that the person that was behind this spoke Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, And I, I liked also that it was very long and it really made you stop to pronounce it. Mm -hmm. I remember I started to share with friends that were American and they were like, ah, like very scared at first about how to pronounce it. But then they sent me voice notes and they were saying it correctly. And they were like, it's kind of fun to say. And I was like, okay, this, this works. Um, and All, all these, like finding the name and then like uh, creating an Instagram for it was in 2016. Um, but it's almost like this had been, I, I had been pregnant with these ideas for a while and then they were born in 2016. Uh, but I didn't present them really very until the following year because 2016, when I, I created an Instagram and I had a name and everything, I still was working full-time in fashion. So I started working on Fragmentario, but uh not in a very serious way for me it was just like a fun thing to do and it wasn't until 2017 that i quit my job in fashion and i started to do this full time um which was also a very interesting learning curve like okay wh what does it mean because i also didn't know like even when i quit my job in fashion i didn't know what it was going to mean yeah. to do this thing full time Like I, I remember I, I gave myself three months actually, like I quit my job and I was like, I'm going to, I have enough money to do it for like three to six months. Um, but I'm just going to do it for three months, see what happens. And worst case scenario, I use it as a portfolio to apply for other companies in fashion that are more aligned with, with my own aesthetic and my own interests. Uh, but then in these three months, things started to happen. Like I started to get commission work. Um, I started to do workshops and they got, they, they would sell out very quickly. Uh, so these three months became six months and the six months became a year and so on. And it just kind of kept going. Um, and also evolving in, right. in very different ways. Like I, I, I think at first I was very, uh, the moment that I communicated with people what it is that I was doing, I was very uh, focused on sharing the stories of natural dyes because I I felt that if I started to talk to people, like it's a project about time and space and collective consciousness, which it is all these things, but I felt that it was too abstract for people to understand. So I felt like I had to start with like a very easy way for people to understand and then they would get their own conclusions. Mm -hmm. And I feel for the most part, 
it, it worked. Like people understood that I was what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly, as I, after I felt that I had communicated in a way that I was happy with the stories with natural dyes, um, I was able to communicate these like new chapters that are about like other things. I mean, you know, remember the first reading you gave us um, as a class? It was the power of mistakes. <clears throat> and I mean, you were... Oh, yes. And it was, you know, that's something we also have, like, I think in common is like, you know, working with, with mistakes and making them beautiful and keep exploring, keep being curious. And Fragmentaria has been that journey of you exploring your world and it totally makes sense from start to finish and I mean that there's no finish yet ahead and yeah I can't wait what the future holds um I mean you're exploring so much every day (laughs) thank you I I mean yeah like I felt that it was really important to send that um that writing about the power of mistakes I remember uh so I met you August 2019 and like March that year, I had had um, an exhibition in a cultural space in Osaka called uh, Motoseika. Mm-hmm. And it was an, it's, a, it's, a, it's a space that it's a former rice cracker factory and it has become this like, cultural space and they invite artists to take over the whole factory uh, with an installation project. Um, and I had an installation there um, I mean, it was massive. It's like three or four floors all oh. for me. I remember I, I was like, what am I going to do in here? Um, so I spent like a week, you know, like I, I brought all my fabrics that I would like avocado seeds and like other, like um, some of the books that I have used as research for this project and like the clothes also and many different things. Um, and I spent like a week, um, exploring the factory because it's a factory, but, um, someone also used to live there. So they also have, uh, hangers and all sorts of things. And I remember, okay, I used the elements of that space with the own elements that I brought. So I, it was very interesting to have like a week to find elements and find how I was going to separate my, my work in the different rooms of the space. Um, and towards towards the end, one of the founders of the space, the, the curator, he recommended me this this book, uh, the power of play, um, no free, free free play, mm-hmm. the power of improvisation or something like this. Mm-hmm. And one of the chapters was this um, the power of mistakes. And he he recommended me to to read this book. And he said, um, you you have very good intuition. Um, it's, it's a power that you have in a, very, in a way that's very innate, but you have to nurture it. Mm-hmm. The same way that you have to nurture everything, like maybe you are good at runner, but you're running, you still have to train. Maybe you're, you're innately good at music, but you have to train this. And he said it's the same with intuition. Mm-hmm. So um, you, you, you are good at this. And it's, it's something that, um, I, I remember that we, we were having some conversations and like, I was getting very nervous about how to have things. And I, and I would tell him like, Shatara, I, I think that I cannot overthink it because the moment that I start to overthink it, I make decisions that are wrong. So I think let's kind of go with my first, um, Feeling. with my first idea. Mm-hmm. And, and he recommended me and he said like, um, you, you are right in this. And I, I, I wouldn't have never said it in this way that he said it, you know? Um, but he was like, you, 
you, you have kind of like a very good intuition, but you have to learn how to train this. So you should really learn, you should really read this book. And I remember I, I read that the book and I was like, wow, like I agree with everything. And I was like, as if someone had like organized my thoughts in a way that was very, um, I don't know, more eloquent and more organized. And I, I remember feeling like, wow, I, I wish when I was younger, someone would have shown me this, the power of mistakes. So I wouldn't be afraid because something that I, I think maybe you will have understood at this point is that my younger years, I was so, 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 so afraid. And it, it's someone that has, it has taken me a while to really not be afraid because you can't really control things. You just can't control what, you know, that you are showing up every day. Right. So I'm, I'm so, so super, super happy that you liked this particular reading. I mean, no way you threw us all in the cold water. And for me, it was for the best because it set me free. And I think it opened far more doors, which I'm forever thankful for. And <clears throat> I mean, I was also talking about, you know, how, how does your world look like if you, you know, have no boundaries if you could imagine it i mean you're already doing it in the studio but you know our listeners don't know about that i get to experience it every other week <laughs> so yeah maybe you want to let us know a bit about that if your avocado breaks now and and uh, yeah and the ideas you have going <clears throat> i think it really goes from from this idea of um feeling free and not not being afraid and understanding um this is at the end what makes us humans right like i feel most animals um they already have a software when they are born that these are the things that they have to do like um some animals are they're they're going to eat other animals some animals are only going to eat plants it's, it's kind of like a very determined role that all of like organisms in the world have um and i think with humans i think it's a little bit different i think we are a little bit more free to maybe some humans are going to eat this the other ones are going to eat this other thing maybe we all are going to eat the same but in different ways uh maybe some of us are going to want to be hunter gatherers some are going to be something else and I, I think this kind of like freedom to to un understand and what what we are and what we can do. Um, it, it's something that I try to to do through my project. So like seeing the opportunities and something that you maybe didn't see there were opportunities. And um, like for example, making bricks from avocado seeds, which also I think in 2020, 2021, might sound a little bit innovative and I say a little bit innovative because at this point I mean there are other people mm -hmm. um, that I have discovered in the past year or so that are making similar things but with like coffee grounds or like other materials mm -hmm. um, but uh, 15,000 years ago when or, or more like um, humans were also having to discover what materials what things they were going to use, you know, like there wasn't a cement factory that, that made the cement for you. No, you, you had to figure out these things. And as you know, like last semester, I was taking a class in indigenous art. Yeah. Um, uh, and what, I mean, one of the classes was art, sorry, a, a class on art in Venezuelan art. 
and one of the classes was art of the indigenous people in Venezuela and we were seeing a lot of ceramics and some of the ceramics were made with mud but some were made for example with seashells mm-hmm. the moment that I see that I understand that my avocado seed ceramics it's an original thing like people have been doing this for like 15,000 um, so which it's actually a positive thing that it's not original because it connects me to, to something, right? Like I am part of something. I am not a Martian. I am a human. Um, so I, I think this is something kind of like very important. And yeah. this idea, right? That like there are opportunities there that we cannot see. And this idea also of like, just like keep trying and experimenting and getting to know, um, getting to be familiar, familiar with different materials with different systems but always 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 like asking questions because the way for example that I got to make these like avocado seed bricks was because first I was using them to dye fabric there was one summer three years ago that I had way too many avocado seeds so I started to brown them up into powder just to have uh just so they would occupy less volume it wasn't because I wanted to make anything with this material it was just to occupy less volume and then once I saw the material, it actually started to, rem- to remind me of some um, one specific beach that there is in Venezuela that it's called, um, it's called in Spanish Playa Colorada. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it kind of means like um, colored beach or like tan beach, something like that, but the sand is like orange. And when I saw this avocado seed um, in, in, you know, that I had rounded up into like a, a powder and like little rocks, it was the same color as this beach. And I started to think like, wait, this is like the sand in this beach. Mm-hmm. So it's like sand. I wonder if I can make structures with it. And for like a year, I tried with very, you know, like I remember speaking about it with a friend of mine who's a sculptor mm-hmm. and she was like, maybe try with cement or maybe try with clay or maybe try with silicone. Mm-hmm. And I tried with these things and some of them worked, some didn't, but I was like, I don't think this is my way and it it wasn't because of uh quote-unquote sustainability it was more because it was too easy like I wasn't discovering anything new it it was very easy to just like find some glue and glue this thing together I felt like I had to keep looking for another way um but I I wouldn't have thinking just like abstractly like oh I unless I would have first done the grinding and the grinding itself I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought of that if I wasn't a person that likes to make her own food and likes to think about food in general. Right. Because the only reason I started to think about this was at, at the time, I remember I wanted to buy for myself, you know, the, the Vitamix, uh, it has one container for making liquid things, but it has another container to make your own flowers. Like you can put uh, oats in it and it's going to make like oat flour. And I had really been wanting to buy one for me, but I was like, it's too expensive. Maybe not. Like I, I don't, I don't really bake. So it does, I cannot really justify it. But like, I knew that I could buy this machine to make powder from something dry. Mm-hmm. So the moment I, I, I was, I was so excited because I was like, <laughs> I have an excuse now to buy this thing and I can use this. Right? Because it's, it's something very strange. Like I, I, I will spend all the money for, for Fragmentario and for my work. For me, I am a lot more strict, but then I was happy because I was like, okay, I, I can buy this for Fragmentario to make the avocado powder and then I can use it for me. And I mean, I, I never use it for me at the end. Um, 
<laughs> but you know, all the all the things start to be connected because right. I, if I didn't care about my food, I wouldn't have thought about doing this. And if I wouldn't have thought about doing this for volume, I would have never realized that this could be a material. And then things kind of start to happen and take you into very unexpected ways. Um, so I, I think like a, a every day in the studio is is very different because it's going to 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 depend. Like there there are some days that I am making a lot of things like physical. Uh, there are some days that I feel like I didn't do anything, but then I ended up figuring out a solution for a problem or there are moments like right now I have been doing a lot of work like on Photoshop because I, I did this project last year that I did all these bricks and all these ceramics with avocado seeds and then now, now I came more like the the website for this and like writing some statements and this type of thing so right. it's, it's very different and also it's something that I kind of thought within myself at first like um, can I do so many different things should I try to concentrate and in the past year or so I have really accepted like that's that's not who I am like I, I am a person that has many different interests and I am not great but good on a basic level at many different things and I maybe will never be truly great at one thing but that that's fine there are other people that can be great at this one different things and I can ask them for advice or I can stay in my own primitive quote-unquote uh, state and this this can be enough you're being way too humble <laughs> no 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 it's 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 true but i i think there is a power in this you know like i think there is a power in the i i don't know i don't think of a good word right now but i would almost say like innocence you know like the making of these mistakes and doing things the wrong way and it's something that i don't remember if i have spoken about this with you um but I see, for example, something that I got to be good at, I'm not so good at it anymore, but I got to be good at uh, was like making patterns and like sewing and this type of thing. And I think that for me, that was almost um, negative because it really limited the way that I would design clothes because I was already thinking how I'm going to make it. Mm -hmm. So I, I didn't allow myself to be so crazy because I was really thinking... Um, I don't know how to make this, so I don't, I'm not going to design it. And so it, it really limited what I would do, which in turn now I see as a positive thing because then it just gives me this way of working that I'm going to design and make things and imagine things that I that I know. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But but it has been an interesting thing. Totally see your point there. <clears throat> I also see that in myself happening at the moment. And, you know, I really enjoy the, the mistakes that are happening and turning them into something interesting. And, you know, if I would have the choice, I wouldn't want to give that up. And because to per perfectionistic way of designing and approaching fashion, I think that will end up again at being boring for myself. You know, that's, I think that's also... <laughs> Yeah, not what we are interested in. <laughs> yeah, um, and that at the end, we're human, right? So yeah. we're not machines. So th this deviation of the norm is what's going to be a little bit interesting and change things. Agreed. What do you think the future for Fragmentario looks like? Then? Um, 
it's something that I think a lot about um, because it, it's also kind of been understanding if I'm going to think about the future of Fragmentario, it's like what is Fragmentario? And um, I remember at first I saw, I would joke that Fragmentario was my daughter um, who had a boy name, right? Because finishing in the O in Spanish <laughs> is, is like masculine. But I mean, that was kind of like on purpose. It's, it's like a daughter that has a boy's name. Uh, because it's almost like a plant that it's like both genders at the same time. Um, and I, at, at a certain point, I started to feel like it's, it's actually me. It's not separate, right? Like we are like the same thing. Like, um, and I remember then like a crisis started, like trying to understand this, like where were the boundaries? Like, did I want Fragmentario? to be larger than me or did I want it to be me? Like if, if I die, does Fragmentario die? Mm -hmm. And it's something that um, it, it wasn't very evident at certain moments. Like there were moments that I wanted Fragmentario to be maybe larger than me, to be something that stayed. And I think in the past year or two years, I have really kind of like understood and accepted like, no, like I, I, want this to be something that is not larger than me because the moment that it's larger than me I cannot be responsible for it right like the moment that then there's someone else doing something under this name mm -hmm. um I, I I cannot be controlling what this other person has mm -hmm. so at the end it, it has to be me so but all, all this dilemma to say that I have understood since the beginning that it's very much um something that is alive and even the moment that I thought of Fragmentario as my daughter, uh, the moment that you have a daughter mm -hmm. or a son or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, you have your ideas about what this child will be, mm -hmm. but the child has their own ideas. And the child is going to make friends along the way that are going to influence them. Right. Um, and, and the same thing happened with Fragmentario. Like I couldn't have imagined the way that it was going to evolve. And it's something that I, I told you at the beginning, I didn't know when I quit my job, what it meant to do this. Yeah. And I was, I was scared, but at the same time I had savings that allowed me to do this. Um, and that's why for the future of Fragmentario, I, I, I am not hundred percent sure. Like I, my hopes for it is that it's a project that, keeps growing and allows me to keep growing. Mm -hmm. uh, understanding growth, no, not necessarily as something related to, to money or size, but something internal. Like keep uh, asking questions, keep finding answers that bring even more questions, learning, keep l meeting people, keep uh, challenging myself and my ideas about, about the world. And something that has been that I have understood is that my first interest um, with, within Fragmentario, for example, with the naturalized chapter, um, was like, okay, I'm going to learn about history. And like, I learned a lot about history, but I also started learning about biology. Yeah. Okay, learning about history and biology in a very basic level, you know, very, very, very basic, but learning enough and 
for example, I have always been interested in, in history, but in biology, that was like my least favorite class in school. Like I hated biology. It's not the least favorite. No, I, I really, really, really hated biology class. And now to Fragmentario, the moment that like I have to tell someone that an avocado peat is an avocado seed, but why is it so big? And who are the plants that it's like a that it belongs to a family of and it, it's been kind of like interesting because it also has allowed me to learn a little bit about biology um, and now with all these projects with avocado seeds also like it has switched into like learning about Venezuelan history and when did avocados first came to to Venezuela um, and it, it's been interesting because it has allowed me really to, to learn many many things that I wouldn't really have had like a, a way to canalize it before. So I, I hope that it's, that this learning process can, can continue and that I can also, something that has been really important for me since the beginning has been meeting other people and sharing these things that I'm finding with them and then having them tell me their, their views yeah. that they might agree, they might not, but then we are having a conversation. So hopefully this learning continues and these conversations continue, which in turn brings even more learning for for everyone so at the end we are all kids right <laughs> exploring yes exactly which is nice <laughs> i mean we pretty much came to the end but there's uh, two more questions that i have the first one is how do you want to be remembered second one is if you have any questions for me let's start with the, the first one um Yeah, like, I I don't know that I can really... Because the moment that I think about how I want people to remember me, it's like I um, like I, I don't have a control, right, on, on this. Um, some people will remember me or see me even in the present in a positive light or in a negative light. Um, hopefully, I mean, if, if I would have to, like, choose something that I think is positive um would be i i wish people remember me at least as someone who is curious and asking quite asking questions and made them think uh maybe it wasn't enjoyable in the process um but ultimately taught the other person something maybe if the thing that taught them was that i am stupid or you know like i was wrong but they had to figure out a way to prove that i that i was wrong so it's going to be positive still. Like I, I, I made them feel something at least. You're I, I think that that's, that's the one thing. Like I, I don't want to be a, a, a rock that is like unstable, like at, at least like making some sort of effect. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even if the effect is not entirely amazing, but some sort of effect that will make you have some sort of opinion. Right. Um, and If I the other question was if I had like a question for for you, um, I think uh, there, there's something like I I had been wanting to speak with you about and we we haven't in in person yet and I don't know why and like I thought of this in when when you told me about the questions that we were going to be speaking about um, you also had mentioned about um, how. I believe the future fashion 
or how I wanted the future of fashion to be. And it really made me think because at first I was like not even wanting to give an opinion because I feel like I am very outside of it now. And then I started to really think more. And I mean, well, I, I actually would like your opinion on this. Um, but I think when I was interested in fashion as like a very, very young girl, I thought that it was a way to almost like a canvas to communicate something, right? It wasn't about buying clothes for people to see that I was rich or that I was hot or that I was part of some sort of like uh, hashtag cool group. It was about using it as a canvas to express something and learn something and something very personal. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I feel in the past years, people have really... It, this is not fashion any, anymore. And I, I think there are, in the past 10 years, people that are trying to, to do this, to make fashion from like a very um, honest point of view. But in general, this is, this is not how it works. And so it, it's something that I really try to see how, how to encourage it with you guys uh, when I was like your professor and with my other students. And... I think recently I saw a documentary that I felt was kind of like a really good way to to see it, but not, not in fashion. Like, I feel like whenever I find examples that are good for this, it's never in fashion, but it's in other creative industries. Um, I, I saw this documentary called uh, Rompan Todo, which means break everything. And it was uh, six episodes uh, documentary on Netflix about the history of rock in Latin America. Mm-hmm. And... They, they show so many music bands from all over, from like Mexico, Argentina, Peru, um, Chile. And a lot of these bands would have different configurations. So let's say that I have my own solo band that it's just me, but then I have one that it's with you and we do music inspired by, I don't know, by acorns. And then the one that it's just me is just inspired by avocados. And then we, the three of us have one with easy the two of us have one with easy that it's inspired by water, but then you and easy have your own other thing. But then we, we all are having our own thing, but we know what it is that we're trying to say. Yeah. And a lot of these uh, musicians also were being producers for the other groups mm-hmm. and they just helped each other in a similar way to this exercise that, um, I'm going to give name and last name so people will research this person. Uh, Isabel Webster was my partner in the class that I taught at Parsons where I met you. She made you guys do this exercise um, during the last half of the semester where you each had to kind of create your own supply chain and assign someone something that they were very good at. So let's say that someone was very good at sewing. Uh, this person you ask this other person to design for you or this person is really good at drawing so you ask them to do some of your sketches and but you still each had your project but you helped each other with the one technical strength that each of you had uh, and there was still no confusion about the creative vision like you guys all had like a very 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 strong vision of who you were and what you were trying to say and it's something that I don't see so much in fashion anymore I think everyone wants to be the other person and I, I think, well, yeah, I guess my question for you would be like, if you think that we are going more towards a fashion, that it's this type of way for you as like a young person, do, do you feel hopeful? Do you feel there's a, li- a little bit more of this uh, individuality 
flourishing again. Yes, um, I mean, also seeing Izzy <laughs> really helps that. Um, I mean, in the class that I met you, it was very special. Everybody had its own thing going on, but we helped each other. And I think also the way you as the, taking the example with the stone, I think you also have a voice. And if you keep um, practicing that and inspire other people with it and with your energy, I think um, there's something. And um, also collection people that, you know, I'm not so much in contact with. But on Instagram, you see them liking my stuff now. And, um, you know, I'm not the typical collection type of person. But I have a statement about certain things they also care about. And then they start to think, for example, like handwork and hand stitching. And I feel there's there are many ways where we, you know, interconnect and have similar values. It's just how we, um, yeah, tell them. But yeah, I, I feel hopeful and I wouldn't do it the old fashioned way. I want to do it the way we did it in our, in our studio. Um, I mean, I fell in love with that. And, you know, it was just beautiful having Izzy over on, on Sunday and she was working on her pattern. And I was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was driving her crazy <laughs> with um, getting the, the French curve out <laughs> and practicing her curves. <laughs> But she said, Lisa, have you thought about being a teacher? And said, well, you see, I like to teach people who have, you know, are curious enough. And you are, because you took my advice. And at the end of the night, we had an, a pattern that, you know, already gave us a direction what doesn't work. <laughs> and then she sent me this morning um, an updated version uh, on her friend, and it looked great. So, you know... That's something that really makes me happy also, passing on knowledge. Yeah. Well, that makes me happy because, yeah, I also, I, I did feel hopeful when I started teaching. Um, but then it's also interesting to see your perspective as, like, a, a younger person. Um, because I think for me, it's like I kind of have to try to be hopeful. Um The normal way would be as you get older, you start to be more cynic, and I I want to to stay hopeful. So it's then it's like nice to see that also you, the the younger person, is being very hopeful, and we can be optimistic, right, about the future because the other option, of course, like yeah, it's okay. maybe like why. Always taking your advice. Stay curious, ask questions, and be critical. <laughs> well, yeah, and also have fun because yeah. it's all supposed to be a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think we have it, right? Um, that was a. I think so too, yeah. Beautiful fourth episode. It was an honor having you join. From I'm so happy to come. Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, it was great speaking with you, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, I mean, now everybody gets a taste what fashion can be in a different lens and what you can explore while you're um, yeah, on that journey. And yeah, hopefully also open some doors and way of thinking about materials, um, which are, you know, you're the perfect example for that. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me, Lisa. Well, good luck with the other episodes of the podcast. Muchas gracias. <laughs> Then, uh, okay. <laughs>
Alrighty, another episode done for the Farm to Wardrobe podcast. Pretty exciting. Um, it was a very good talk with Maria Elena. Thank you again for tuning in here. And yeah, I can't wait for you guys to tune in next where we host our next talk on a farm, actually. And I won't say who will be joining us, but it's 100% percent worth it just like the other podcast it should be a very good 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 pod, uh, podcast talk Alrighty, till then farm to wardrobe says goodbye bye bye